Rafer. Hey, Kristen. Have we been here before? Are you feeling deja vu? I feel like we've been here before. Like, we, we've... I, I hey, Kristen. Know. Do you get that? <laughs> <laughs> that was a little joke. Oh, Rafer. We've been here before. We have. Well, many, many times. Many, many, many times before. <laughs> yeah, well, it's because we're reviewing the seventh X-Men film <laughs> and the third Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore romantic comedy this oh, week. Boy. One, only one is an official sequel. The, 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 the romantic comedy is not an official sequel. Uh, we're talking about X-Men, Days of Future Past. Um, and we're talking about Blended with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore in their third romantic comedy. Um, hey, Kristen. <laughs> Reaver, you're killing it's me. It's like Memento. You're killing me, Reaver. <laughs> all right. We'll get, we'll get to all that in a moment. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And this is Movie Date. If they could go back in time, X-Men could find a way to get all these high-priced actors to stay. I don't know why Adam Sandler's still around or why Drew Barrymore's in the Lost and Found. Maybe third time's a charm for this 90s pair or at least reach the height of Wolverine's hair. All right, Kristen. You You're start? just killing me today, Rafer. Do, um, do you want to start off with Blended? Yes, absolutely I do. So this is the story of two single parents who are set up on a blind date with each other. Drew Barrymore is the mother of two young boys who are a little bit wild and out of control. Adam Sandler is the father of three daughters who he doesn't quite raise with a feminine touch, you might say. I think that's right. <laughs> and the, the two of them are set up on a blind date, and it just goes terribly wrong. However, they are forced to see each other again because both of them, through some weird circumstances, end up on a trip to South Africa together, rooming together as part of the same family at a blended family is it called Family Moon? I think I, it's called a Family oh, Moon. Oh, Family Moon. Oh, I think you're right. I think yeah. someone does use that term. Yeah, the blended Family Moon where there are all sorts of Brady Bunch configurations there <laughs> and they are amongst them and who knows, maybe they're going to find love. Maybe those kids will get a little bit of what they need from the opposite sex parent. We'll see. Here's a clip. I'm Jim. I'm not a threat. Jim? The blind date guy. You said that was a disaster. Oh, it was. You said he was a chubby loser. He is. You didn't mention he has that high, phlegmy voice like he drinks a lot of dairy. Standing right here, ladies. Hearing everything. Rafer, what did you think about this movie? Well, I want to start off by saying that I am actually a big fan of both Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. And I think. What about that movie where he played his own sister? A Jack and Jill. Um, <laughs> Which not... won all seven Razzies, I think, including Best Actress and Best Actor. <laughs> not without its moments, Jack and Jill. <laughs> but it's true that Adam Sandler has been on a um, a real role, and you might say a hot streak, because many of those movies have done pretty well at the box office. Um, but he's been on a real tear of just lousy, crude, gross comedies. Dumb, dumb, dumb comedies. And I'm thinking really... Primarily about the two grown-ups um, comedies, which are just – they're, they're mm. awful. They're just there's, – there's nothing else to be said about them but that they are just awful. And um, I'm glad to see Adam Sandler back together 
with Drew Barrymore in a movie like this. Family-friendly, not entirely because you do have some jokes about uh, the habits of teenage boys, let's say. But uh, So I think it's PG-13, <laughs> so you're not going to want to take your nine-year-old to it. But um, it's not a gross-out, R-rated, fart joke, poop joke comedy, and I was happy to see that. So I think the movie has a lot of good things going for it. I think I went in thinking... This doesn't look great, but it has some promise. How about you? I went in with low expectations, but I'm just going to play my cards here. I thought this was a really delightful, sweet movie. Oh, really? I really did. No kidding. Yeah, I know. I know. It's so dumb. The premise is so stupid. But there are genuine moments of that's kind of sweet, not just between the two leads, but between them and the kids. The kids. And even with other couples on the retreat that are Uh there that are are genuinely sweet and, and honest Yes. Not all of them are caricatures. There are genuinely, you know, moments that seem really legit. And I thought it was very sweet and some of it was very funny too. I think what's interesting about this movie is that uh, I mean, it's a romantic comedy and there's something I think as you and I have said before, there's something inherently conservative about romantic comedies. Uh, everyone always falls into a pretty pigeonholed gender role and there's not a lot of room for, um, you know – a, a, a non-traditional uh, family or a non-traditional version of romance. Although this movie sets you up to think that, that, that it's going to be because we've got, you know, two, two single parents. These kids are from, um, you know, not broken homes exactly. Well, I guess one of them's from a broken home. Lauren is divorced. Um, Jim, Jim uh, Adam Sandler's character, it's a slightly different situation. But... So you have the you have them coming together on this bl- on this blended family family moon as you were saying, and it's supposed to be all these different non traditional families come together. You get one little brief split second glimpse of a gay couple with yes, a kid, yes. little split second yeah. glimpse. But then we're back in just totally traditional heterosexual uh, romantic comedy land. And the thing is. You know, I hate to say it because it makes me sound like I'm some guy from the 1800s, but a lot of this stuff really rings true. The idea that um, that Lauren, the, the Drew Barrymore character, is ill-equipped to handle these two boys. You know, her, her, her older son has got a, a stash of porn under his bed, and the younger son has got these kind of violent, acting-out, freak-out issues. He's this kind of wild, spastic, physical kid. Um, Adam Sandler has these three girls that he's ill-equipped to handle. He's, he's named them all boys' names. One is Hillary, short for, and he calls her Larry. Um, then there's Espen, named after the, yes, the sports yeah. network. <laughs> Which, by the way, did you know that that's actually happened to about, like, two dozen real children? So sad. So sad, those isn't it? Those poor girls. All those poor girls <laughs> in the world I don't know if Espen. it's girls or boys, but, but, there, but there actually are children somewhere in the United States walking around with the name Espen. Um, and she's play- Espen is played by a, a, a new actress named Emma Furman, who I actually thought was really good. Yeah, she has she has sort of a sensitive, you might say, kind of tragic side to her um, that really comes out. And she's got a, one very good scene with Adam Sandler that I thought was really moving. And then Adam Sandler's littlest daughter is named Lou. Um, mm-hmm. And you know Hillary, played by Bella Thorne. Um, Hillary's got this horrible metal dude haircut because you know Adam Sandler has been you know, taking, yeah, been, been taking her shop. to the you know hit, that was my grand my my dad's barbershop and my granddad's barbershop, and now here's Hillary with this horrible horrible haircut. Um, and of course, it's it's Drew Barrymore's job to give them give her a makeover, uh, bring out her femininity to you know play mom and sing to the little one. 
So everyone's, you know, and Adam Sandler's role is to play ball and teach the the boys how to box. So it's these incredibly conservative, I know, you know, stereotypical I, I gender know, roles. But I the know. problem is it kind of works. I know, it does. <laughs> you everything know? you're saying is so true, Ray, for everything you're saying. It's like, you know, this is so heteronormative. And yet I'm just having a good time here. And I'm right. feeling the love in my heart. And I want everything to be okay for these people. Right. I really do. And the thing is, Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, they fit those roles so well. She is... Drew Barrymore is like a little fairy tale princess mom that would come down and sing to you if you were a little, you know, six-year-old girl. You'd be totally enchanted by Drew Barrymore. Oh, yeah. And Adam Sandler is this kind of, you know, funny, charming, you know, scratching his ass caveman type that you'd be totally into if you were a nine-year-old kid, right? You'd, you'd, if you were, if you were, you know, hiding porn under your bed and you had a guy like Adam Sandler, who was, you know, who who knew all the porn <laughs> magazines, you'd be pretty happy, you know. <laughs> And it, I have to say, it all kind of works. I, I thought it was a good date. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good date, too. So oh, yay. I really did. Quick, quick side note, I did think the African caricatures, not so great. Little, little displeased with the, uh, all the sort of dark-skinned, um, buffoon African staff members at the hotel. I have very mixed feelings about those. <laughs> yeah. I really do have mixed not feelings so great. about them. But I would say that... Um, there did seem to be a sense of self-awareness about that there also. Did. So it didn't just feel like, you know, I don't know nothing about birth and no yeah. babies. It wasn't on that level. No, it was, it no. seemed to be very much almost like on the level of like Book of Mormon, ridiculous, we know what we're doing here. Faint glimmer of irony. Yes. Faint glimmer of irony. But yes, yes ultimately, not a bad date. Yeah. Good. All right. Good wow. Good date. Yes. We, we agree on blended. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, before we move on to our next review... Let's let's play our next interview. Yes, indeed. So we were very lucky this week to sit down with John Ottman, who is the editor of X-Men Days of Future Past, the latest installment in the X-Men movie, and as well as many other movies with Brian Singer. And he's also the guy who composes all the music. Yes, he's had this partnership with Brian Singer where he is the editor-composer, uh, an unusual marriage of two jobs, uh, for, for many years now. And so we're going to play our interview with him in just a moment. We are thrilled to have John Ottman joining us in studio now. John is the editor and the composer for X-Men Days of Future Past, and he's collaborated with director Brian Singer on a number of other films. John, thank you so much for being here. Sure, it's good to be here. John, you've done how many films with Brian Singer? Uh, I only know that off the top of my head because we had to count the other day, so I think it's eight. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, well, the very first movie was like a short we did, like a diner-esque kind of film called Lion's Den. Um, and, uh, but the first feature we did was Public Access, which was a um, you know, obviously low-budget feature we did that, that won the Sundance Film Festival. And then for that, after that, we put together The Usual Suspects. You guys have done some good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always say it was just downhill after Suspects. You can't top that one. <laughs> Thank God for that movie. Uh, John, come on. Now, don't discount the significance of the X-Men franchise. Yeah. It's near and dear to a lot of people's hearts, not just the super fans. But uh, Ellen Page in a big interview with The Hollywood Reporter recently and Ian McKellen has spoken openly about it and why it is meaningful to him as a gay man. You know, any superhero really is an allegory to, you know, being different and and not being accepted. But for some reason, X-Men, I think, is, is one of those overt uh, allegories to being gay or or fat or or some minority that's not accepted, and um, I remember in X Men Two, you know, that was the, I thought it was audacious to do it. And the studio was behind it, where Bobby comes out to his parents, you know, and it's like I was like, wow, this is really going to be scandalous. But the funny thing about that scene was, if you were 
gay, you, you got it. If you if people who were anti-gay or, or just then it didn't get they didn't get the scene. It's, so uh-huh. it's one of those things where I mean they got all they the, all they got it was. All they got was what the scene was about him coming out as a mutant, but they didn't get the, to me, the, you know, hitting over the head of the heaviness of, of what it actually was about, you know. But I think that's, that's what a lot of uh, people relate to, the X-Men characters. You know? But am, and, am, I, am I wrong to give Brian Singer credit for that? Because I feel like he's the one that kind of that really pulled that subtext to the fore. Oh, or, or do you feel that that was there in the comics originally? Or? Oh, no, I'm sure he – I think he did. You know, it's, um, I wasn't involved in X-Men 1. It's the only film we didn't do together because I was off busy doing something else. But um, – uh, I, I know that was he was very in, in, involved in that, and, and and the writers as well. You know who were, uh-huh. who were um, uh, wanted to to, uh, to hone in on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up briefly the elephant in the room, uh, Brian Singer, who is not on the uh, mm-hmm. the publicity trail uh, because of these yeah. uh, sexual well, assault it's, it's lawsuits. It's sad because you know I worked with him for 22 years, and and uh, this was the highlight of his. A career, and he he always says this was the best time he had on making a film. He got could go back to the to the franchise that he loved, and and I'm just sorry to see that he can't be involved in any of the the press, which is what he loves actually, um, because um, of some you know allegation someone's made, and, and there's really nothing you can do except just step away until this whole thing's resolved. You know, you think he did the right thing by removing himself from? Yeah, the- I mean, he, he, like you said, it's like the, the most important thing is the film and, and um, even his statements like, you know, thousands of people worked on this movie and, and gave their all. And so, you know, just because this person comes out and, and with these things, it's like he doesn't want to ruin everyone else's, uh, you know, uh, work and effort. You know? uh, sort of a two-part question. I mean, if mm-hmm. he if he were here... What do you think he would say? What do you think he'd want us to 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 look look at in the movie? What do you think he'd be proudest of? Huh? I think he'd be proudest of um, the emotional component the film has, you know. And um, he probably wouldn't want to admit it, but but it's like the uh, it's 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 not the kind of film you would expect, even though it does have action and and it's you know it's it's it definitely uh, has the popcorn quality. It at the end of the day, it's it's a character movie, you know. And um, I think that's. You know, he gets intimidated by these these, these movies with which, with action from from frame one to the end, and I tell him, yeah, but they're stupid and they're dumb. And he goes, yeah, I know, but that's what, but everyone wants to see. That's what go, sells, I, yeah. And I go, yeah, but but I think they really like it when it's related to character, you know. And so he gets really paranoid and freaked out that 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 we're doing these character movies that have the big set pieces. And but I think in the end, it pays off really well because it come a, it the film is more of a legacy. I think it it it's. It's more respected, and um, I think it's taken more seriously in terms of entertainment as well, because you're engaged more. You know, and for your work, when people are going to go see this movie, when they're mm-hmm. looking, when they're thinking about you as the composer and the editor, what do you want them to be thinking? What do you want them to be looking at? I don't think, I don't think many people are walking in the film thinking the composer and the editor. <laughs> <would be thinking. laughs> but if you could point, if you could direct their that, eyes and ears to some particular scene or sequence, would oh, there be one? Oh, uh, yeah, this one was hard because it's it's so much um, uh, intercutting, you know, um, between future and past, and also there's one scene in that takes place in Paris, which is a seminal scene where everything's supposed to go down, and it's Paris in 1973, and I, I call it Paris clusterfuck because <laughs> when, when we got all the dailies, I was like, what the. F- 
fun I'm supposed to do with all this because it's like one person's doing this while this person's doing that. Well, outside, that's happening. While this guy's on the floor writhing, he's being electrocuted. But while he's, while he's writhing, on the, writhing on the floor from being electrocuted for 10 minutes, this is happening in the same room, not more than three feet away. And yet, and then Logan has, he freaks out, has this vision. Well, anyway, it goes, and so um, both both editorially and, uh, and musically, it was very difficult. And it's, it's like a nine-minute sequence. So, um, all right. you know, when you're all done with it, you don't realize what's been done. But it, w- it was quite a... a Weeks of agony. <laughs> I would not want your job. That's, that sounds so challenging. But uh, we are so thrilled you came in and talked with us today, Glad John. To thank you so much. Sure. We really appreciate it. And Thanks. congratulations on the new movie. Thank you. John Ottman is the editor and composer for X-Men Days of Future Past. Well, now we are going to talk about what we actually thought of X-Men, Days of Future Past. Uh, Kristen, do you want me to give a plot synopsis of this one? That would one? be great. I okay. would love it if you would do that. <laughs> it is, it's, a li- it's a tiny bit complicated, this yes. one. So this is the seventh X-Men movie. Um, all our favorites are returning. Hugh Jackman as the Wolverine, Jennifer Lawrence as Raven, um, James McAvoy as Charles Xavier, the leader of the X-Men, and Michael Fassbender as Magneto, the the villainous, uh, by any means necessary, mutant. So um, in this film, what's happened is we are in the future, some kind of future, where uh, a war between the Sentinel robots, these robots that are designed to kill mutants, uh, this war is raging and the Sentinels are winning. They are stamping out the mutants. The Sentinels' powers are too great. Uh, the mutants are trapped in a uh, fortress and they've got one last desperate measure, which is to send someone back in time. One mutant has to go back in time, not his body, just his consciousness. His consciousness will go back into his younger self's body. So he's going to go back in time and try to stop the inciting incident that started this war in the first place, which was Raven, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, killing, assassinating the inventor of the Sentinel robots, uh, Dr. Bolivar Trask, played by none other than Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones. So if, uh, if this mutant can travel back in time, and it's the Wolverine, of course, if he can travel back in time, stop Raven, and then he can stop the war. Uh, here's a clip. The treatment for my spine affects my DNA. You sacrificed your power so you could walk. What do you know about it? I've lost my fair share. Huh. Dry your eyes, Eric. It doesn't justify what you've done. You have no idea what I've done. I know that you took the things that mean the most to me. Well, maybe you should have fought harder for them. Now, it's worth pointing out that the year that they have traveled back to um, is 1973. Yes. It's the year of the Paris Peace Accords. Um, and of awesome clothes. And of awesome <laughs> clothes. I'm glad you mentioned that because, because I feel like we're going to wind up talking about the clothes as much as almost anything else in this film. Did you like the X-Men, this, uh, this X-Men film? Because I know that you're uh, mostly a fan of the franchise. I, yeah, I mean, I'm not a super fan. And as you know, I'm, I, most comic book movies, they just don't capture my love and my heart. I mean, listeners know that I love Captain America. Yes, of course. <laughs> but, um, and the X-Men movies, I think, are better than most of the other ones. I like the characters. I like that they actually spend time on character. A lot of yes. superhero movies don't really do that. They know how to have fun, not be too dark, not be too serious. And not be too cute and winky yeah. as well. Yeah, I think they do better than a lot of the other superhero movies. And this one has so much going on. It has so many characters. And I was a little bit afraid that I'd be lost by all of it. Um, there is a lot of stuff going on yes, here. Yes, there is. And some new characters that I didn't know about, but um, 
one thing, can I just point out one character right away who yes. I just loved so much? Yes. You know that guy who moves super fast? Quicksilver. He can play ping pong with himself. Yes. <laughs> he just like runs back and forth to both sides of the table and hits the ball. I love him. I want him to have his own movie now. Yes, I know. He's he was he was quite good. Um he's well he's at least a good character. I wasn't actually that fond of the actor whose name is Evan Peters. I didn't think he quite got a handle on the personality of that character, but the but the concept of the character is great that he can move so fast that, you know, in the middle of a firefight he can just stroll around changing the trajectory of bullets. You know, he's just sort of <laughs> manipulating bullets like he would manipulate, you know, windows on your computer or something. Um he was great. Uh, did you like Nicholas Holt as Beast? He's, oh, he's one of your faves. He's one of my crushes. He I both, know. Yeah, I just can't help it. I just love that Nicholas Holt. He I gets a bigger him. role here than he ever has. He's, you know, he is really kind of the the uh, the side the sidekick to the Wolverine yeah. uh, throughout the film. But there are so many characters that you don't get to spend a ton of time with each of their issues. That's true. Although I think you get to spend quite a bit of time with Jennifer Lawrence. In fact, I think this movie makes, um, you know, clearly Jennifer Lawrence is now the it girl. And yeah. she, I, I think this movie makes really good use of her. They give her a lot to do. She gets to dress up in a lot of different characters. If you know the character, she's a shapeshifter. She yeah. can uh, she can pretend to be anyone. And she fights fiercely. And There's lots of fierce fighting, lots of great, legs flying over your head. Great fight scenes. Great yeah. fight scenes with Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, the scene with her and the Vietnamese general in the hotel room is, oh, yeah. uh, is it's, a, it's a great scene and it's straight out of a classic uh, Hong Kong kind of movie. Uh, I, thought it, I thought it worked really well. Did you like it overall? Um, I did. I liked it even more than I thought I was going to. But you sound not fully committed. There were some things I was a little bit confused by, and I think it's, um, this is something that I shouldn't do. I start thinking about logic during time travel movies. Oh, don't do that. It always gets me, like, I should not let logic get anywhere near my head when I'm watching a time travel movie. Only if it's a Christopher Nolan movie, then the (laughs) logic, then it works. So I'd say that's my biggest issue is I, I... I occasionally was letting logic get in there and then I'd start scratching my head and trying to like figure stuff out and I should know not to try and yeah. figure that no I'm just going to sully the experience by trying to figure stuff out my biggest misgiving with it was mainly that uh you ha- in order in order to give them a reason to travel back in time I keep saying them, but it's really only him. It's actually only Wolverine's mind that has traveled back yes. in time. That's a fine point, but I think it matters. Uh, but the but to, in order to get him to travel back in time, you have to set up this big doom and gloom set up in the beginning, you know, to show this horrible war. And we do some cross-cutting back to the future, so to speak, to to show what's happening in tandem with the past. Those scenes were not nearly as interesting. You know, Halle Berry shows up and flings a few things around Mm. and Anna Paquin shows up and flings a few things around and Bishop, uh, played by, I think, Omar Sy, uh, he shows up. But you're not really – they're just kind of pieces on a chessboard being knocked around and it doesn't – that stuff didn't really grab me very much. Ellen Page, very small role Mm -hmm. for her. Um, It's really the time travel sequence. It's the 1973 storyline that's totally compelling. And Kristen, let's talk about the wardrobe. Okay, So obviously glasses. Gla- oh, God, the glasses. Look at Peter Dinklage's glasses. Peter Dinklage's glasses just say, I'm a bad guy. He's got, Peter Dinklage looks so good. He's got this crap brown great. suit. His hair is crap brown. The whole thing. Yeah, it's just great. His, tie is, his tie is diarrhea brown. 
It's just, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, scenes, great mustache on there, him. There's a scene in the airport where Jennifer Lawrence is wearing one of those crop tops and bell bottoms. And... Oh yeah, I don't remember that one. Oh, you don't remember her tummy just like oh you mean in her the toned when, tummy and when the... she's got the big giant yeah, floppy yeah, yeah. felt hat. Yeah, yeah, she looks like right. She looks like uh, like uh, you know Stevie Nicks and early Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Right, and then the first wardrobe thing that we see of Wolverine when he arrives in 1973. Is his birthday suit? Oh boy, do we? Do you remember? I looked over at you, Rafe, yes. and I was like, "Hubba hubba!" You gotta have, you gotta have some naked Hugh Jackman in a in, a, in an X Men movie. Otherwise, what are you doing? Oh yeah, I was like, "Yes, Rafer, yeah. check that shit out." Oh, he's great. He's great. What, what can you do? He's Hugh Jackman. Oh yeah, and then um, and of but, course he's but, got he's got the tight jeans and the giant enormous saucer sized bell buckle. Yes, and the, yeah, and the and they got they got the nice boot cut leg. As soon oh as, yeah, as soon as they do make him get dressed, that's like what he's wearing. But the, and I have to say, uh, Kristen, you may not know this because this is, I think is kind of a guy nerd thing, but there's a whole cottage industry built up around uh, duplicating famous leather jackets from the movies. So if you, you if you go on the internet and surf like uh I don't know what like celebrity jackets or or celebrity custom jackets or something like that, you'll you'll find all these different versions. Of course, the most famous one, the most famous one that everyone wants is the Tyler Durden jacket from Fight Club. Oh yeah. Brad, Brad Pitt's yep, sort of, of course. Sort of blood red uh, leather blazer that he had, that kind of pimp cowboy blazer. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, Nicholas Holt's jacket looks pretty good and the Wolverine's jacket, it's like I don't know. It's like Bronson and Eastwood all in one jacket, and it's just fantastic. And I, I just feel like that's going to – we're, we're going to see that on the internet. It's going to be a hot ticket, I think. I hope so. I hope next week you're wearing that. <laughs> I hope so, too. Anyway, I say pretty good date. I say pretty good date, too. All right. I can't believe we have two pretty good dates two this week. Two good dates. That's, right. not, that's not like us to have two pretty good dates. Adam Sandler it? and good date. You, wow. never, you never thought you'd say that. Good job. Good job. All right. Before we go – I just wanted to play one little piece of listener mail, Rafer. Um, you know how last week we were talking about immigrant movies? Yes. I remember how last week you said, I'm not an immigrant? Yes, I did. I said that, Kristen. And why did you say? Because you didn't come over here on your own. You were brought over here as a little baby. Is I don't it, think it counts. Okay. All right. Okay. So I just want to tell you at least one of our listeners disagrees. I'm going to play right now. Hey, Rafer. Hey, Kristen. This is Jordan calling from California. Wanted to say, Kristen, I love your immigrant story. I thought it was really cool, and it's a really neat piece of personal history you have for yourself. Anyways, talk to you guys later. Bye. Oh, yeah, Jordan. Thanks for backing me up. All right, Thank Jordan. you for saying that that immigrant story was a good one. Yeah, immigrant story. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't say, like, just coming out of here out of nowhere and being dragged here. He said immigrant story. So, all right, look, there you go. It's America. We're all entitled to our opinions. <laughs> But I'm glad. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you for calling in. Everyone, as always, please call in. 5717movies. I always love it when you call. (laughs) All right. And we got tons of calls on last week's trivia question. Tons and tons and tons of calls. Yeah. So as I was just saying, we had our immigrant theme last week. We played the following from a movie that is immigrant themed and asked you to tell us what that movie was. Lots of people called in, and um, we just randomly chose this one. Hi, this is Carolyn from Seattle, and I'd like to answer the movie trivia. And I think it is from An American Tale. Thanks. Bye. 
Carolyn from Seattle. Oh my God, how old are you, Carolyn? I know. How old? Is, how old is that listener? I got to really watch my mouth on yeah. these on these podcasts. I if... mean, Carolyn. She sounds like she's like eight. Or yeah. Eight. Like I have no idea, but that was great. That's but... good. Good job. You got it. <laughs> Thank you. And this week's trivia question in honor of deja vu, of going back in time, we're going to play a clip of a movie and have you tell us what this movie is. I I, I can't believe that everything we say or do has already happened. We can't change what's going to happen and and, and five billion people are going to die. I want the future to be unknown. I want to become a whole person again. I want this to be the present. I want to stay here time with you. Mm, have we been here before, Rafer? Yes, Kristen. <laughs> if you know if you know the answer, give us a call. 5717movies. And as always, you can visit us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. And once again this week, we want to give a huge thank you to Jake Howitt for the fantastic music at the opening and close. His version of If I Could Turn Back Time. Jay, thank you for your beautiful voice, your beautiful words, and that beautiful guitar playing. I've waited months to see this movie. Let's grab a seat in the first row. I'll hold your hand so tight. We could go back in time. We could find a way to listen to Kristen and Rafer what they say. If we could pay these stars, we'd make these flicks again and again and again. And you love me, love me, like movie day used to do. We could go back in time.